Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. As I'm sure you know, if you're a listener to these podcasts, uh, they are brought to you by Hubbard Radio, who is an amazing sponsor. It allows us to utilize the studio space and are just really great partners. Um, And the person sitting across from me today knows this really well because he's actually been behind the mic and behind the camera on these last couple of episodes because you're interning for us this summer. Yes, I am. So welcome to The Preventable, Justin Boyle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. You know, first off, because I do sit over there and I set up, you know, one of these two camera angles that you see on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, put these nice little covers That's on the mic. That's right. So kind of feel like I'm cashing in on all my hard work. So. That's right. That's right. We're like sort Thank of you. breaking the fourth wall too, right? Because mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're having you come in. So your path to us, to Prevent Ed, mm-hmm was kind of awesome yeah uh and it's a cool story it's a really cool story do you want to do you want to share how did we meet each other yeah so um one of my good friends like his aunt works for i think is i think the organization is actually like st louis public radio that's correct um and then they were doing like a special on like cannabis and how it just became legal um and like how you want to talk to kids about it and like education and stuff like that and you know, I was just, like, kind of recalling on things that, like, I've heard from, like, previous... It, it might have actually been, like, Prevent Ed who came into, like, my high school and, like, told us how to actually, like... I think that's right. Yeah, who, like, <laughs> actually told us to kind of, like, you know, um, talk about substances and how, you, and how you're supposed to, you know, be educated about it and how that can lead to, like, you know, you not developing, like, a substance use disorder. So I just kind of, like, pulled on that and then uh, talked about it, like, in my interview. But I thought it would be more of just, like... Um, you know, they would have like my clip of audio and then they would like incorporate into like a longer segment and then they would just be like that. But I didn't know that they were going to be playing it before you. Um, so then like when I heard it and I heard that you like, does Justin want a job? Like at the time I actually did need a job. So I was like, I don't know if this is a joke. I don't know if she's serious, but (laughs) I will. Really terrible joke. I, I didn't know. So I was like, I just had to, you know. Follow yeah. up. So and they make and you sure. followed up and you were persistent, which I appreciate because mm-hmm. you know, I think by the way, this was like in January. Yeah, or, this was. Yes. Yeah, I, and, I remember being like in the airport, like about to go on a trip in intercession, and I was like, Oh, I gotta send this email. Like, yeah, I, I mean this. I was not we weren't exactly looking for interns mm-hmm. in January for the summer, but you were persistent and you're like, Hey, I haven't heard back from you. Do you have any thoughts on this? And I was like, Oh, I like this guy. I like him. Yeah. But so I'm sitting there at St. Louis on the radio and I and they told me they were up front and said, we're going to be interviewing some young people for their perspective. Mm-hmm. And as they began the interview, they um, introduced the segment by playing. I'm old. Uh, who sings the smoke weed every day? Um, that is smoke that's like Matt Dre, I think, and Snoop Dogg. Okay, so, not, but so, it's somebody. Okay, yeah. so they play that, and I'm like, boom, 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 and I'm like, oh, that's this that, is gonna be Dr. bad. <laughs> this is gonna be bad. The interview itself was great, but they stopped at two different times mm-hmm. to play, you know, um, comments from young people about what they would like to see or how yeah. they wish they were educated, and both of your comments were awesome but Mm -hmm. the way that you were able to speak to how prevention education is important when done the right way right when done early and not saying that you know it's you're a terrible person if you've smoked weed or whatever the way you were able to um 
explain it and articulate it in a way that made sense to me as a person who does this for a living, but mm-hmm. also to like the general public. Yeah. And I'm just like, do you want a job? Does yeah. he want a job? And Elaine Shaw, the host was like, I think she's serious. And I was, <laughs> yeah. and I loved that you called me and you followed up. Yeah. Um. And at the time you were a freshman mm-hmm. in college. I, I had just, I think I had just finished my first semester. Um, cause I remember I was home for winter break. I was literally in the parking lot, like at my high school doing my interview with, uh, Maya for the radio. <laughs> so I was like just in the middle of, you know, my just, first year of college. Reverend. Yeah. Well, when I found that out, I was sort of floored because I, not sort of, I was floored because I thought that you were older. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even mean offer you an internship. I meant like offer you a job. Like, <laughs> yeah. do you actually want to go into schools and talk to kids? Because this could be pretty great. Mm-hmm. So then when you and I met and you shared that, you know, you were a freshman and you were looking for a summer internship and the way that you laid out what you want to do, why you want to do it mm-hmm. was very impressive to me. Yeah. I went back to two of our staff, one in communications and one in finance. And I was like, I think we need to like have an, a meeting with him. And neither of them knew what to expect. Yeah. And when we met you... Uh, Elizabeth, who's our director of finance, was like, are you sure he's only like 19? And I was like, (laughs) yes. And she's like, I was not that put together when I was 19. And I think Max said the same thing, like, whoa. So where does that, whether or not, you know, you stick to your plan that you had in January of your freshman year of college, but I would say like, where does the drive come from? Because you're a very motivated young person. I think the drive comes through, one, just being able to kind of, um, you know, in the last, you know, this kind of breaking the fourth, the fourth wall, but the last, you know, podcast that we just recorded, yep. we kind of got into like meditation, kind of like foresight and things like that. I've been able to kind of, I have like a very active imagination and I can kind of combine that with just, I guess, like probability to kind of map out how my life might go. And I just, you know, try to use all my resources to make that vision a reality, basically. So it's very like, I don't know, I can see it happening and I know how to make it happen, but it's just about the action and and putting the work behind it. So being persistent with an email, um, you know, making some follow-up calls, that's not really that hard for me to do. So, you know, if I do have like that opportunity, if that door does get opened, then you know I can I can make the way for it. Putting in the work is not hard, but all the like divine doors and things that are kind of just random that happen for me, I just kind of accept it and then try to like weave chaos or try to weave like a stream from the chaos Whoa. and make it happen. If that makes sense. I mean, it you and I could not be more different in that way. <laughs> like that is not how my brain works, which is why I'm like in awe of the fact that yours does work that way. Yeah. And you do seem analytical mm-hmm. and that is I mean so half of your internship you're working on working like the with finance with yeah. finance and business analytics yeah and that's my like perspective uh major right now because I'm undeclared business but you know you can go into finance you can go into marketing you can go into um just general management but I'm thinking you know I'm out in San Francisco in the Bay Area um I just think like off probability if I have a business analytics degree and I throw a rock in the Bay Area I can probably get <laughs> the most jobs with my business analytics degree. So I'm thinking like, okay, let me try to get as much experience as I can with this. Let me see if I actually like it before I declare this. So, you know, that's why it was also important that I got this internship this semester 
um, because then I'll be able to, you know, go into my second um, my second year and see, okay, maybe I don't like analytics. And yeah, now for I sure. can stay away from it and I can, you know, save those credit hours um, yep. on wasting, you know, time in a class that I really don't like. So just being able to have like that, that real life experience first from this internship, that's something that I'm very grateful for. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of how I, you know, navigate And so you the, have like that, that background, that analytical background, but you also sort of believe, as you said, in probability, in probability, which I guess is mathematical, analytical, but mm-hmm. there is a little bit of like some spirituality oh yeah there, definitely. right like i'm looking at your necklace definitely. like that's the, so you seem also like a pretty like spiritually grounded person yeah have that always been that way does that come from like your mom i know your mom's a pretty big influence on your life mm-hmm. or is that just it's really just like like christianity uh, i was raised catholic so like okay. christianity I didn't overall know that. okay yeah i used to go to uh saint Teresa and Bridget on uh, Grand, huh, so okay. in the city. But um, that kind of like laid the foundation for me, like my spiritual foundation. Uh, even though like I don't consider myself a Christian now, I mm-hmm. consider myself more of a person who's more spiritual and then just open to like different spiritual beliefs and things like that. And I kind of like craft my own kind of beliefs because I think of like, you know, it's ultimately your connection to the higher power. So I, you know, just work on honing my relationship with God and how I, you know, pray and have my own rituals and personal things like that so me being able to be flexible enough to realize that i don't have to be part of a religion to be a spiritual person is what keeps me spiritually grounded because Mm -hmm. you know it's no wrong way to do it then because i'm going by my book i'm going by my teachings that work for me justin so that's how i'm always so spiritually grounded and it helps me like what i said like with the probability and the randomness like i can just kind of accept the randomness of the universe and then i can kind of see like which path it's the most realistic for me to go down. And how can I do this by using the resources at my disposal? Hmm. So, hmm. I know that one, it, it appears to me that one way that you sort of stay grounded is by getting very involved in mm-hmm. your community. I know since you've been back this summer, you've really like rolled up your sleeves and, and tried to get involved, not just in a service way Mm -hmm. but also just like in experiencing it you seem to be like a person who accumulates experiences yeah and definitely like accumulates experiences because like the past two years of my life have been like full of experiences like it started i would say we can like start this period like last year around late june i went on a trip to uh, kenya um, and it was through, uh, I don't know if you know of like a, um, AFS, yes. um, and then like quest, which is local in St. Louis, they, you know, gave me a scholarship, paid for the whole trip, uh, for me to go abroad and, you know, see a whole different country, a different continent. And that like really like started it off like with my, my new life experiences. Cause I'm going from West St. Louis to Kenya. And then I came back for like four weeks and then I was in San Francisco for college. So it's just like experiences, experiences, experiences. Um, so I just, you know, wanted to come back to St. Louis for my, I think the eight weeks that I'm here and just like experience as much of my hometown as I can. Cause you know, when you live here, you can stay in your box. You can, you know, stay like square to like your own region in yep. the city and not really explore too much. But, you know, especially as somebody who wants to travel a lot, who lives in a new city, you know, I kind of want to represent St. Louis as best as I can best way to do that get as many experiences as you can so that's kind of been like my whole thing for the summer and then with the community side of it um out there in um san francisco i'm a part of 
um, what we call like the Black Scholars Program. So it is a, it's like a highly selective, it's only 10 of us, um, but it's like a program that kind of takes your um, career aspirations and combines it with like your aspirations to help the black community. So it, it, it placed us, it placed us our first year in something called a Marshall Riley Living Learning uh, Community. And it's basically a 30 person um, residence hall experience where it's all black kids um, and this is like significant because we're right. like, I think six. No, no, no. Anywhere from like six to like ten percent of the student population. You're a tiny percent so of the student like population. population. So to live to live amongst people it's that look like you that have similar life experience, that's a big it, deal. It's very significant. So like we live many in, of whom are away from home, right? Cause yeah. You, it's, this isn't a commuter school where you go, so this would be like. Yeah. Yeah. People creating come from a bond all across uh-huh. the country. And that that was like cool for my first year because I didn't have to like go out and make friends because I'm in this social is it, I call it like a social experiment yeah. because, you know, we had our sociologist professor, you know, running it who knows like human interaction and knows how to like make sure people have like good conflict mediation skills, make sure like their personality types are matched. Like we did like retreats and like all types of surveys and stuff to make sure that you know, we would like be able to coexist peacefully. Yeah. So that um that was like one aspect of the community. But then the other side was community engagement. So our second semester, um, this is actually like my second internship. So my first internship was with of course it is. a place in San Fr- <laughs> <laughs> it was a place in San Francisco called uh Cold Tenderloin. And uh, if you know like the yes, Tenderloin the district. Tenderloin district, yeah, right. They, it, they have a lot of issues. Is underfunded, it is kinda ignored by San Francisco. It's basically like a under-resourced, historically ignored. Yeah, it's been, like, deemed as a containment zone for vice, basically, in the city of San Francisco. So we, like... High rates of, like, HIV, violence, substance use, like, all of it, right? Yeah, so my my organization, they just kind of basically worked with giving people the resources that they need to, you know, get a job, get access to healthcare, things like that. And that was, you know, they threw us in the deep end. They were like, you're going to get into the community, you're going to work, and you're going to, you know, really learn San Francisco. So I just kind of took that spirit, and I just wanted to apply it back home, Um, my community-engaged learning uh, experiences that I learned. So that's kind of how that all came. And your mom is in this field, kind of? Yeah, so my mom, she is. she's a nurse by she trade. She must be so proud of you. She, she's very, she's very <laughs> proud. Uh, but she's a nurse by trade, but she works for uh, St. Louis University Hospital as a clinical outcomes manager. So she kind of works around like health and I'm kind of still interested in like healthcare administration and outcomes and yeah. how do people get when you and I first had just our sort of first I'll say interview but it wasn't really mm-hmm. the conversation you were talking about how you've sort of grown up with this idea that like we need outcomes mm. But why do certain populations get certain outcomes? Right. Well, that probably is because of where resources are put and where, you know, a.k.a. money yeah. and where attention is paid. And you want the positive outcomes. But how what are all of the things that go into getting the, the positive, positive outcomes? outcomes? Yeah. And, then and that's how some, can we keep improving on those? Yeah. And then that's all. And then that's also been just like exaggerated by the fact that. You know, my my black identity has been something that's been, like, at the forefront of my young adult life. Um, that's probably has something to do with the fact that, you know, in fifth grade, um, that's when the whole Mike Brown Ferguson thing happened. Oh, wow. So I was kind of just, like, accelerated into, like, what does it mean to really be black in this country? Were you in a school that was predominantly black or no? I had a 
it was almost around like I would say like forty forty black white and then like the ten percent was just like everybody else. Okay. But I was like pretty much represented. Um, I didn't really have like any. I wasn't like isolated. Yeah. Um, but it but was, you were still trying to figure it out in real time as yeah. like an eleven year old. Boy. Yeah. Like what's going Meanwhile, on? Meanwhile, you know your pants aren't fitting, and you know you're Growing. like getting pimples on your yeah. face, and you're like, what? What is this? Like, yeah. So like that's with, a hard age with anyway. That, and then combining like what my mom does, and like wanting to see like positive health outcomes in the community. Um, I'm just I can't unsee the fact that you know there are crazy discrepancies between black people and all other races when it comes to healthcare. Um, and then, you know, just me being a black person and somebody who is, you know, very um, kind of just like, I guess, dedicated to community service and, mm-hmm. you know, putting it out positive in the world. You know, I see a need that needs to be met. Um, I have like the heart for it. So I'm just like, there is work to be done. So that's kind of why I'm and interested. And who better than you to do it. Right. So that's kind of why I'm interested in just like, you know, helping the community, um, you know, healthcare in general. Uh, and that's another reason why I'm interested in Prevent Ed and interning here because I know the work that you guys do is public health work, you yeah. know, helping people with drugs and use disorders, which is a public health issue. Yep. Um, and then also another thing, you know, tying it into my black identity, I know the ramifications and the significance of the war on drugs and what it's done to my community. And I, you know, if Prevent Ed had as much national funding as, you know, like the the, D, the DEA back then, I don't know if we would be in the same spot that we are because that did a lot of harm to our community. It put a lot of people in bars when they really, you know, needed public health resources. They needed, you know, counseling. They needed the resources to, you know, get help. And they weren't. They were criminalized. They were thrown in jail. They were, you know, fueling the prison industrial complex. So... Well, and, you know, just to be super clear, six years ago, you would not, we would not be having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, we know this now, right? And I would be lying, and there would be plenty of people who would call me on my shit if I did not say that, like, we haven't always been the best Mm -hmm. at recognizing how the systems have been built Mm -hmm. to keep black people in particular and other communities of culture behind bars Mm -hmm. and down. We haven't always known or recognized the role we have played in paying more attention to the heroin epidemic when it impacted white people in Mm -hmm. the suburbs than, for example, the crack epidemic. Um, And it's not to say that we didn't pay attention to the crack epidemic. I think we paid a different type of attention Mm -hmm. right and for me as a white woman I have had to do a lot of learning and retro like introspection about the role I have played in like trying to be without even realizing it like how do I show up in predominantly black schools Mm -hmm. so where I'm not like a white savior because I think that in the past you know, my first teaching experience, I was brought in as under the DSEG order in Louisiana. So I was mm. one of like three white teachers. The rest of the entire school was black and it was like 99% free and reduced lunch. Wow. And I think I walked into that at, with this notion that I was going to save everybody. Mm-hmm. And that I now know, and I think we as an organization and a lot of other people are starting to realize that that does not help. Mm. 
And so how can we sort of step out of the way to the extent that's practicable and elevate people like yourself Mm -hmm. who can want, uh, can do it, want to do it, want to roll up their sleeves, like are from community. Right. You know, how can we step out of the way and simply allow you a bigger microphone? Yeah. You know, and yeah. and I say all of that because I could sit here and be like, yes, we've really this field, you know, we've we've incarcerated people and have prevented, you know, had more money. Yes. And 10 years ago, I don't really know what we would have done with right. that extra money. I don't know that it would have been the things that you would have liked to see. I don't even know that we would have asked you. Mm-hmm. If I'm being totally honest, and that's learning for us, but there's a lot more that we have to learn. Yeah, yeah, and like what you're talking about, just like not being a white savior or have you like elevate people. It's something that I learned is um, with my internship experience. Something that we like were hammering across the head with was community engaged learning versus traditional service learning. So it's basically. Um, you're going into the community and trying to help with the basis of one, you want to establish uh, meaningful connections and you kind of want to redistribute power in those situations. Yes, you're not coming right. into it's a situation. Power, isn't it? You're not coming into a situation wanting to, you know, be a savior or help these people. You know, you're just trying to actually make this meaningful bond that's going to produce long lasting change. And then you're also with like the critical uh, service learning aspect of it you're trying to think about like these larger social issues that produce inequity rather than just kind of like putting a patch on something and then walking away and feeling good about it which is like more like traditional service yes. learning where you will go out into the community maybe go to like a soup kitchen or something you do like your one-time thing so that that's something that like we've been you know studying from like a theory perspective as well so just to hear you like say that and know that like it's not just coming in there and being a savior and putting your band-aid on it and walking away and feeling good. You right. know, it's establishing meaningful connections. It's putting people, um, not even in power, but just like on a platform to speak and educate other people. You know, it's really opening the door um, and, you know, allowing people to have a seat at the table. So <clears throat> you're... I had an issue that happened yesterday and I can't get it out of my head and I I'm not a person that thinks everything happens for a reason, but I do think there's a reason that we're having this conversation because I think I owe an apology email. I was asked to be part of this like focus group yesterday and um, it was about black men living with HIV Mm -hmm. um, and how like the work that had been done so far and like what were the next steps like to address this, this, pretty challenging population to reach right and how to how to celebrate all of these things but how to also like make sure that they have access to the interventions and I listened to the presentation and it was all amazing and then I did what I always do and I couldn't stop kicking myself yesterday and now it's just now that we're having this conversation I'm like I need to just follow up with an email I like they unmuted and they're like, oh, does anybody have any feedback or anything? And I came in hot mm. with all of the suggestions. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, have you talked to this person? Right. And like, what if we do this? And like, da 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 And I could, f- it was like I was having an out-of-body experience, Justin. Like I realized at the time that I needed to stop talking, but like I couldn't stop talking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was one of two white faces on this Zoom call. And I just was like... Well, I bet we should. I bet we could talk to this person, and I bet mm-hmm. they would have some access to funding. And I, blah, 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 blah. and it's not 
bad. It's also just not how I've been trying to show up Mm -hmm. in spaces. Yeah, and I've been listening. Like, I've been binging uh, The Preventable. So, like, I've been hearing you talk about how, like, you were always... Um, just throw solutions when sometimes always, you know, always. Sometimes people, you know, just don't need that. So. I know, I know, I know. But you know, it's the effort that you put behind it. It's like the conscious effort that you, you know, put forward to, you know, not want to do that to be as much of an asset to communities as possible. Um, so you know, just keep working at that. Yeah. Thank I, you. You know, people give grace. I always preach, I give know. grace. Um, everybody human. We all make mistakes. We don't all know how to perform in these different social environments you know so it it takes a lot of learning it's a lot of trial and error um but yeah like i always say just give people grace yeah you know well speaking of thank you for that by the way um but this isn't about me uh although i made it about me (gasps) um zanique and james are diversity consultants if you're listening i'm giving myself a slap on the wrist myself uh speaking of solutions Mm -hmm. talk to me about the brother connection okay yeah so the brother connection this is something that i inherited from my black scholars mentor so they have like a mentor program where senior will get a freshman and they just kind of mentor them so my mentor was the president of brother connection uh this past school year and he kind of just like this first year for me, it's kind of like the revitalization of it. It existed before, like... Is it like a fraternity? It's not. No. It's more like a... It's just like an on-campus student organization. Okay. Um, where, you know, you would, like, you would, like, book a room. You have, like, a meeting, like, a general meeting where you would talk about... Um, we do our general meetings in the structure where people come together to talk about, like, what they've been doing, accomplishments. You can get celebrated. You can, you know, plug anything that you want. You can tell, like, you can tell people about, like, a business or different opportunities that are happening in the area. And then, you know, we'll probably do, like, a more, like, team building or competitive activity where oh, we can cool. just kind of get people, like, up and moving um, and in community engaging with each other. And then we'll probably do, like, a reflective activity uh, probably centering around like your mental health or just basically just like expressing yourself and being able to be seen by like-minded people, people who have similar experiences as you. Because, you know, college is like a, a microcosm of just like the whole country. <laughs> so it's right. like a lot of different like things that are happening. And sometimes you just need that space to be in community with people who are, you know, safe and just like understand your experiences and understand all the things that you might go through, all the microaggressions, all the you know, fear that you might get from people on campus from you. It's just like to be able to just relax and be in community amongst brothers, almost be in the barbershop. So my job is just to really make a (laughs) safe space. Yeah, so my job is really just to make like a safe space for black men on USF's campus. And, you know, I haven't started that work because I'm going to be the president this semester. But, you know, I'm just thinking like, how can I make this the best space for Black is it common for campus. a sophomore to be the president? I was going to say, it's not, no. It's not. But like I said, I inherited it from my mentor. Mm-hmm. So it might uh-huh. be it might be a little like, I don't want to say like nepotism or anything like that. No, I, I mean, I feel like he saw something in yeah, you. Yeah, you know, and then I was actually, you know, qualified and I have like a, a e-board. I have yes. a great e-board behind me too that was What's all that? like executive board so those oh, would be like I'm the people sorry. like Duh. the <laughs> okay. director of finance the um, secretary and stuff like that who are all like yeah okay we you know we give you the give you the okay you know so so is it really just like a, a place for fellowship in other words like yeah. just to kind of just like to, to just ugh, exist relax and be and exist. in community and it, it's something that like a lot of different identities have on campus like we have the 
women equivalent sister connection. Got it. Um, I was going to ask, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, they have a sister connection. They have a Black Rainbow Party, which is for our queer black people on campus. They have all types of different things for the Asian community, for the Hispanic and Latino community. So we have, like, these different... USF is very, like, dedicated to, you know, like exploring their diversity and also like giving their diversity enough room to like be themselves and not just be like people who are on their campus you know i don't know if they do too good of a job as like a as a pwi or no they're not a pwi we call them a historically white college because our largest percentage is actually asian people but really they it's not like the they don't have like the structural power um, in the ah, organization okay. to where it would be like a predominantly Asian university. But it is it still does have like the historically white influence and where it like, you know, it operates like a Jesuit school yep. with a small black percentage or a small people of color percentage. Um, so like they don't really do too good of a job as like making us feel like, hey, like we're we're loved and we're accepted Yet. and all that. But they do give us, you know, the opportunity to run our own organizations and, you know, really just take things into our own hands and kind of make that stuff for ourselves. And I feel like if anybody's going to change that culture, mm-hmm. it's going to probably be you and oh, your team. You. That's why I say yet. Like, they don't do it yet, but they haven't seen you in power yet. Yeah. But thank uh, you. So you're on our podcast. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should need to be a guest on your podcast. We Would that be weird? That what is it about? Yeah, I'm not? inviting myself on a podcast that I don't even know what it's about. What's it about? So my podcast is called Truth to Power. Truth spelled T-R-O-O-F. It is Truth a, to Power. It is a play on, I don't know if you ever heard of like Ebonics, but it's basically like how black people speak and like I don't like, think I should be on this podcast. <laughs> so just just keep listening though. Okay. So it, right. it's like a play on you know like um how black people speak and kind of like how we would say like a word differently than how it's traditionally said. Or okay. Whatever. But it's just highlighting it. It's not like making fun of it or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. It's just like you. you know just showing like how we talk. And that like that title got um well actually the. It's, it's layers behind it because I I'm put listening. a lot of thought behind it. So that's the first thing. It's kind of like a play on Ebonics. But then the next thing, it's a combination of words. It's, you know, if you take the T from truth and then put roof, it's the truth through the roof. So it's a lot of truth. It's a lot of it. If you ever see like my art for it, it's like a graph where it's like going up. So okay. truth through the roof. Yes. And then it got affirmed for me because um, on that trip that I went on in January where I was in the airport, like actually talking to you. I was flying to Louisiana as a part of um, this intercession trip with my living learning community, where it was a it was a Southern cultural um, it was a Southern cultural immersion trip. So it was like to immerse us in basically Black Southern culture, and we started in Louisiana, then we went up to Alabama, then we went to Tennessee, and then we went to Mississippi, and we basically hit like a bunch of historically black like landmarks mm-hmm. and like places that were significant in black history and we went to the Whitney plantation in Louisiana so this is like the middle of nowhere Louisiana yep. it's a plantation and um I had like a very strong connection there because my family migrated from Louisiana in the 1940s so if you know black history you know about the great migration and things yes. like that yes um that's you know it's not too long ago so i think you know just basic deduction i'm like okay my family was definitely probably here during enslavement so i had like a very like a, strong mm-hmm. personal connection i felt like a very 
you know, I was very receptive to my ancestors. I could, like, hear them. I can, Whoa. like, feel like I was being led to, like... I've never had that, but I have talked to people who have had that experience, and it's life-changing it from my understanding. It definitely is. It, it makes you think, like, being on a plantation makes you... It, it's surreal, um, especially because, you know, slavery didn't end that long ago. Right. Um, and it's something that, you know, is actively being buried, and the further we get, you know, past, like... 1865 and you know when people try to push the post-racial agenda after Obama and things like that to make it seem like things don't matter you know it's kind of hard to be connected to those moments but actually physically being in that space I was a I was like open and I had my ears open had my eyes open to a lot of things and um to go back to like the title of my podcast they had like these like paragraph testimonials of enslaved people and somewhere within there it was a it was a testimony from an enslaved woman who uh, was talking about like her experience on the plantation, and in there, like it was the word truth, but it was spelled T R O O F, and I was like, I feel like that's like confirmation. <laughs> I was like, that's confirmation for me You're to like, keep my ah! podcast title as truth, and I took that. And I was like, okay, yeah, that that's definitely the right way to go with it, and that just basically like affirmed it because you know it was random. It's that's, one, yeah. uh, it's one paragraph of literal thousands that on this you wall. were re- reading. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, that I, I get saw. it. So I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely you know my podcast title. But into like the content of it, so I started my podcast in 2020. So this is like oh, pandemic. Yeah. Everybody bored. Everybody at home and just kind of <laughs> just like doing stuff. And right. you weren't making sourdough bread. Yeah. You decided to start a podcast. Yeah. So okay. I was just basically you know <laughs> high school kid just talking, um, and like. All the episodes that like I put out probably back then were like so rough that like I just took out and not and not because like they were bad or anything or I was saying like bad stuff on it but it was just like poorly edited yeah I bad mean, audio you learning. know it was bad but like the stuff I have out now it's pretty much just more about like um, my experiences like I have like a breakdown of like the immersion trip that I went on mm-hmm. um, I brought on um, like the hat well one half of like our namesake for our living learning community. Uh, the marshal in it because he is still a lot, he's still around and active in the community in San Francisco. Um, he was the first BSU president at University of San Francisco, so we had like a conversation just talking about like how that came to be and stuff like that. So I pretty much just try to do like a little small like shot into like black consciousness, but not something to like beat you over the head and just kind of like make you like, ah oh, man, like it's a this is a heavy topic, you know, just kind of like a small insert from a black. Gen Z male perspective. So that's what I try to do. That's all it is. It's something, it's interesting because when we, I gave a shout out to Zanique and James earlier and they work with Undo Bias. They're our diversity consultants and we've worked with them on and off, you know, since like 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. And they have worked with us to figure out how we can not only educate, which sometimes can be a little depressing but also how we can celebrate. Mm-hmm. So they were the ones that suggested having caucusing exercises for our staff where like the white folks come together and learn and and figure out how to do better and think about how we're, you know, how we have implicit bias and microaggressions and all of those things, mm-hmm. learning about that, but then separately our staff of color come together and they have no homework. They are simply in a space kind of some sounds similar to the brother connection mm-hmm. where the tie that binds them is that they work at prevent ed and they're people of color, but it's really a time for them to celebrate, celebrate yeah. their culture, celebrate their background and like just have 
just to build community. Yeah. And I think that it's that piece that sometimes is forgotten where, yes, there's a time for learning and yes, there's a time to go through history, but there's mm-hmm. also a time to like keep like sit back and be like that's really cool yeah or and like just appreciate yes exactly yeah. yeah and then like something like and this being on this podcast and being able to like shout out uh my podcast is like an iou for me to like put out more content because you know i am just a regular person out yeah, here I right go i intern at prevent it i go to the gym i walk my dog i play video games and it's time to do it all over again the next day so like i need to like carve out some time to you know make some more content i'm trying to actually uh start moving towards youtube because you know i love the preventable i'm a podcast person but i don't think too many people in my demographic are podcast listeners so i think i want to watchers they are they're more (sighs) like watchers more like i could kind of you know clip up the youtube video put it on tiktok that's why we have youtube yeah so i'm trying to move towards that um, but yeah, this is like kind of like an IOU telling me to like, you know, you're on here, you just shouted it out. I know I got like three weeks before this comes out to like really put out content and awesome. make sure that I have something, you know, for people to after they hear this, you know, check out. That's but, it. That's you, it. You know, my whole thing is, you know, what I'm trying to move towards now is like, like you said, just being able to kind of lightly celebrate and appreciate. Like my whole thing is I'm trying to move towards like what I what I call casual consciousness to where mm. people will, you know. I feel like that's going to be the title of the episode. Yeah, because that's like the whole thing that I'm trying to build. Like, I'm trying to build a brand around it. But I just oh. basically want people to, you know, kind of. He trademarked it. You can't take that, everybody. Yes, yes, okay? I did. He, he trademarked it. Yes. But um, I'm trying to basically, like, casual consciousness to me will basically mean, like, you know, knowing history, knowing how history led us to the point that we're at now. And basically being informed on politics, you know, decisions, um, local government, things like that. Just aware of your surrounding, basically. But not in the way where it's your whole personality and where you are just like this radical person who is always, you know, against the government and, you know, blaming everybody and stuff like that. But where you can just like in your daily life, you know, be like, okay, I know how this moment in history affected how I got here. And now I understand this situation and now I'm not out here mad. I'm not frustrated. I'm not feeling, you know, weak and disempowered and stuff like that. But now I feel empowered to be like, Hey, I understand this now. And I know how to use the resources around me to, you know, make a change. So that's pretty much all casual consciousness is. your analytical background. Like I can see it as your, like there's a there's a purpose yeah. for everything you do and it it seems like the purpose for your podcast and just your whole like embodiment of you is that oh, almost like predictability like mm-hmm. if you do this then this will happen yeah. and so if i find out some of the background and I think about where it's bringing me today, then I also can think about how it's going to impact me in the future. Future. Like that is, yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And you know, I just wanted to be, and I make it, you know, I want to be casual because I want to be something that like you can do without it being like a thing, like do it like how you breathe, you know, you know, no history, like how you do anything else, no history, like how, you know, the NBA, like how you know, you know, your favorite TV show. I mean, I don't know the NBA. You know, but. I'm just speaking <laughs> But, you know, just How about like, Mary J? I know. Mary J. That's like, how I knew I liked you the first day. My Mary J shirt. Your very first day you wore a Mary J shirt. Yeah. And 
I knew I was going to like you. And yeah, but thank you so much for being here. Thank you for working for with us me. this summer and for really like imparting your knowledge. I know our whole team is learning a ton from you. I um, I feel like I've grown a little bit in this episode um, just by being able to share with you and you receiving it and helping me. So yeah. I'm thank you for being receptive. By the way, I'm appreciative more than you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you, Justin. If you you. like what you heard, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to The Preventable. And when this comes out, please make sure that you also rate, review, and subscribe to... Truth to Power. It is anywhere you can find a podcast at. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by PreventEd. PreventEd works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.